Hello and welcome to Watering Seeds, a podcast conversation that reviews and reapplies the preached word to our own minds and hearts and the hearts of our listeners. Uh, our podcast today is discussing a recent sermon entitled The Midas Touch on Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, uh, preached by Jim Curtis. You can hear that sermon at our website, covenantreformed.net slash sermons. If you haven't heard that sermon, you should probably go listen to it before hearing the rest of this a podcast. My name is Sean McCann. I had the privilege of not preaching this sermon, but listening to it. I'm here with the preacher, Jim Curtis. Welcome, Jim. It's good to be here. Thanks Great. for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Just so our listeners know, we're always in the same place. The first person talking isn't really having the other person, but uh, we're gathering in Jim's office to discuss a sermon that I love listening to. This is too much behind the curtain, I feel like, at this point. Now Sorry. they know where to envision us. You know, we sort of had this podcast studio. Now they know it's not that anymore. That's pretty uh, It's pretty low level over here. Yeah. Uh, I downloaded this sermon. We were on the road for the weekend. Lindsay and I listened to it in the car uh, on the way home. Uh, loved it. You always ask me what it's like to preach a very familiar passage. Mm. Uh, so uh, you preached a very familiar passage. Yeah. How was that? Was very interesting. Um, prep, I think, was uh, uh, very unlike what I normally would sort of envision. Um, certainly has been unlike the other sermons I've done in the Sermon on the Mount uh, so far. So, you know, there's just a lot of extra biblical, um, extra Christian literature, right? I mean, I, I went and... Uh, dug deep. I mean, uh, as I said in the sermon, right, the, the, the golden rule is found elsewhere in human culture. So, you know, normally I'm not digging around uh, maxims and stuff like that <laughs> of other cultures and, and religions. Um, so that was an interesting aspect and in, in angle to this. Um, the other one is, uh, you know, you've heard sermons on this before and, you know, you're, you're not preaching that sermon that you've heard, but it's sort of hard to wash some of that out yeah, and kind of come at this from a fresh perspective. So it's sort of that, that double-edged sword. When you come to a text that's unfamiliar, you feel like you're constantly playing a game of catch up and you're never getting there on a sermon like this. It's sort of like, man, I wish I didn't know. And I, I wish I hadn't heard so much about this text yeah. as I, as I did. Um, the other interesting thing I'd say about it is, the, the benefit is as you're sort of trying to wash out all of that in your head and, and you're learning, you're actually realizing there's layers and, and layers of the meaning here that, that you haven't heard before. And so even then, sort of my, my view of the golden rule changed from sort of a bare bones summary of what Jesus was saying to something a, a lot deeper uh, uh, within the, the broader context of you know, the internal external yeah. distinction he's been making. So yeah, it was very interesting, very different than a normal sermon for sure. Well, let me ask one other difference before we jump into yeah. it. To honest, honest answer. How did you feel when you first saw that I'd ask you to preach on only one verse? Uh, so I've never preached on just one verse. Okay. Okay. Um, I guess technically I still haven't since I had us read Matthew five seventeen. though I basically, you know, referenced that toward the end. Um, yeah. Uh, I was kind of excited, um, if only because within the span of uh, uh, two months, I preached a full two chapters, which I've never done before in the evening, and then one verse okay. uh, uh, last Sunday. Uh, brutal honesty was not pumped. 
uh, my thought was like, cool, the congregation is going to love this. It's going to be like seven minutes long. Um, I don't know what it ended up being, but it was longer than seven minutes. But the more I dug into it, uh, the more I thought that this was definitely one of those very appropriate times to just do the one verse. And I appreciate that you, in your sort of outline of the Sermon on the Mount, I appreciate that you did that. Great. That uh, awesome. I'm yeah. glad. Uh, I Like I said, I appreciated the sermon. Let's uh, Let's jump into it. Uh, big idea here, true righteousness, obedience requires perfect love of our neighbor. So I'm, I loved how you tried to bring, or you did, uh, tried to, you did bring in some of these other religions and how they would view uh, the golden rule, how it is sort of common across a number of different cultures yeah. uh, and teachings. Uh, but how is it, how is it different? How is it used differently in other religions versus how it's used uh, yeah. on the lips of Christ? Yeah, so t- in in two primary ways. The first way is the one that I mentioned explicitly in the sermon, and that is through the silver rules, uh, which is the golden rule, but but phrased negatively. So uh, rather than, than phrasing it in terms of um, as you would have others do positively for you, do also to them, the, the silver rule is what you don't want people doing to you, don't do to them. Um, and as I mentioned in the sermon, the, the the big payoff for the silver rule is, well, you can do nothing and you you abide by it. The second way that it's, it's different is uh, um, that as we, it, let's say another religion uses the positive version, so uses the golden rule, uh, even then that religion sort of assumes that that ethical command, that imperative can actually be fulfilled. Jesus is under no sort of presumption um, or illusion that those whom he's speaking to can fulfill the golden rule. Jesus knows that he's preaching to dead people, right? He knows that he's the prophet that's been called to raise us from the dead. And so this is all set within the context. And this is why I had us read Matthew 5, because he says the golden rule is the law and the prophets. It's the essence of or, or, or undergirding the entirety of the, the law and the prophets of the Old Testament. And this is why I had us go back to Matthew 5, that Jesus, the Son of Man, Jesus, did not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. And so what we see is in these two bookends around what Jesus has been saying is the key difference between those other religions and Christianity um, uh, is that Jesus doesn't expect us of our own power just because he said it to do it. And that's why I thought that the universality universality of the rule was so interesting um, coming across different cultures and times was because it was sort of like, hey, you're not doing this. And it was like another reminder. Hey, you got to do this. Hey, you got to do this. Hey, you got to do this. We all know that it's a good rule. We all know that it's it's incredible. But the fact that it's everywhere tells us that no one's been doing it, right? <laughs> Almost like yeah. it, it, it confirms for us that original sin is universal, as, as Paul gets, uh, uh, gets to in the early chapters of Romans. So uh, those are the two primary ways it's different, right? It's either framed negatively, which sort of gives you this cop-out on the one hand, or they sort of assume that you can fulfill it uh, whereas Jesus is coming and, and and saying it sort of in what we would call the third use of the law. It comes after redemption, and it comes as a means to say, now that you are righteous in Christ, this is how you act. 
other religions don't have that mechanism. They don't have that thought. They just assume that you can, of your own power, do it. Hmm. So do you think the reason it's maybe in the silver rule setup in other religions is so that it can be kept? Maybe, yeah. Okay. Um, <clears throat> I, I think, uh, I don't know if the original, you know, I, the, the one um, uh, that most people would know, what you do not wish for yourself, do not do to others, is from Confucius, right? Okay. I don't know that Confucius would be like, yeah, because that's easier necessarily. But it is a... Um, a weakness that is commonly attributed to the silver rule. I wasn't the first one. I, I quoted um, Robert Mounts in his saying, you know, you can fulfill it by doing nothing, but he's certainly not the first and he won't be the last person to suggest that weakness of the silver rule. Um, but I do think that it maybe takes the edge off a little bit. You know, um, I don't want that person, you know, um, looking at me in that way. So I'm just not going to look at him and I'm going to ignore him pretty easy to do right yeah um and so at least you know maybe maybe the way i'd put it is it it, it seems to maybe bring a, a white piece if i can put it that way where it's not really peace it's not really you know did uh, you say a white piece? yeah sorry a, a, a piece that's sort of begrudgingly agreed to between two parties um uh, instead of like full restoration reconciliation full peace that jesus promises to us not just that you and I are going to tolerate each other in heaven, right? But that, <laughs> that we're going to be close, right? We're going to be brothers. Um, uh, uh, the silver rule sort of guarantees, okay, maybe there won't be conflict, but they still don't like each other, right? The golden rule pushes us to something yeah, it, deeper and heavier. I never heard of this silver rule. So yeah. I, I thought it was really, that was for me, it was probably the most helpful part of the sermon. It's the idea that you can keep the silver rule by doing nothing. <laughs> and... Um, I never just never thought about it that way, and so the you're gonna we're gonna get into this in a second, but the golden rule compels us to action, and just sort of dawned on me that if if all Jesus gave is the silver rule, and then Jesus came to keep the law and the prophets, he could have fulfilled the silver rule by doing nothing. Yep, and then there's no gospel, right? Right, and so the silver rule is is no. I mean, the the, the golden rule is not good news in and of itself, right? Paired with Christ, it's the good news. But the silver yeah. rule alone, paired with Christ, is no good news, right? Yeah. We don't want Jesus fulfilling the silver rule. We want him fulfilling the golden rule. Right. That's right. right. Yeah, that's wonderful. Um, okay, you, your main idea, first point, love of neighbor, positive, not negative, golden rule, not silver rule. Kind of The main thing coming from that is to actively seek out and move towards uh, other people. And then you... Uh, asked how we do that. Before we even get to how we do it, uh, you made the point that we can't do this apart from God. We cannot do this. Uh, we cannot keep this apart from Christ. Why mm -hmm. is that? Well, as as we mentioned, it, it, the issue is that we don't love our neighbor. And so the command itself condemns us, uh, uh, even in needing to be uttered, right? Um, it tells us, hey, you've got to do this. Implication, why? Because you haven't been doing it. Um, and so I, I think I mentioned in the sermon uh, uh, that that Cain knew, right, mm -hmm. that he should have murdered uh, Abel. Um, and so, uh, um, you know, the, the the fact of the matter is, we we have to have both God's example. We we need to see a positive sort of view of how the rule is fulfilled, but then we need another. Thing on top of that we don't just need a good moral teacher in jesus 
We need someone to come in and take us from completely and totally dead in our trespasses and sins and make us righteous in himself. And only he can do that, right? So, the, the, like I said, the golden rule condemns us on both fronts, right? We're not only not doing it, but we're completely incapable of doing it mm-hmm. apart from Jesus coming in. You know, we can get into the Valley of Dry Bones. We can get into the fact that the, the law um, was uh, needed to be made obsolete. It was only a guardian. You know, we, we talked about all that in Sunday school yeah. um, here, but... Yeah, the the primary issue, I mean, I hate to be overly simplistic, but the primary issue is you and I are sinners. We're all sinners, and we can't fulfill the golden rule mm-hmm. uh, in our own sin. So number one, we we hear it and we think, uh, thank God for Jesus. Right. Because I'm worth I'm worthless without him. Right. right? That's right. But number two, in the sa- out of the same sermon, we walk away with the do. I mean, the law functions in both of those ways, condemning us, but now that we have right. the indwelling spirit, we are to aim by grace to keep this to keep this right. rule okay you give us four ways to do that we initiate we communicate we sacrifice we appreciate uh so hitting on maybe communicate maybe appreciate you can maybe tease that out uh, mm-hmm. with this question uh one of my kids actually asked me this from last week about like, they had a conversation at school uh, about this because the the golden rule says do what you want them to do for you, right? And so I like certain things. I like to be treated in certain ways. Uh, I like certain foods. I like whatever it is. So is this just telling me to do to other people what I, Sean McCann, likes done for me? Yeah. Because that doesn't seem very appreciative or communicative of another. Help me out. Yeah, so the the bare level thing that we all want is we all want our preferences met, right? I mean, ultimately, we all want our good, whether or not those preferences are met, but preferably, right, we want we want those preferences. So, you know, um, you put in the example of a, a, a husband and a wife, um, say, me and Madeline, this last Mother's Day, and it was Mother's Day, it's a special day for her. Um, I can look at that and go, you know, well, I really like cookies, but she really likes ice cream, right? Oh, the golden rule says, as I would have them do to me, so I should do for her. So I should buy her cookies. Well, actually, what I want is I want cookies from everybody else, right? In this scenario. Um, And so I'm supposed to assume, okay, what what do I want? I want people to treat me with my preferences. So actually, what I need to be thinking is, well, what does Madeline want? Mm-hmm. Madeline wants ice cream like I want cookies. And so she wants me to fulfill those preferences. So I should do the, the ice cream. I should actually not do the cookies, my preference. I should do the ice cream for her. And so this is this is what I meant um, in in communicate, right? We, we communicate with others how they want to be loved. The only way to know that is to talk to them. I mean, it, it seems, again, very, very simple, but I think a lot of relationships break down in this way that, that preferences never get spoken. Expectations are broken, but are never communicated, right? Um, maybe never is too strong of a word, but, but I, I've just seen in a lot of relationships, you know, guys, uh, good friends of mine um, get into fights with other friends. And the issue is, hey, you guys just haven't talked about this. Like you expected one thing, you did another, you know, so we just need to kind of 
So without the communication, I don't know that Madeline's the ice cream person, right? So I just assume, oh, well, I mean, any rational person would be a cookie person, right? So <laughs> let's go, let's go get her cookies, right? And, um, and so then when it comes to appreciating, right, I, I don't begrudgingly get the ice cream and be like, darn, I really wanted cookies. I, I go to her and, and, and take on that and say, okay, I'm going to get her ice cream. And then I'm going to say, and I'm going to get her ice cream because I want her to have the ice cream because I appreciate her for her. Right. Uh, um, I'm not sort of going like, oh, well, it's Mother's Day and I've got to do what she wants. Right. I'm saying, well, okay, I appreciate those differences. So taking it out of like something silly like cookies and ice cream, say, you know, uh, quality time. Right. Maybe, maybe I'm not good at quality time. Maybe that's what she wants. Maybe it's words of affirmation. Maybe it's whatever. Um, I feel loved by X, by, you know, words of affirmation. She feels loved by quality time. Okay. Well, I need to give her the quality time because that's how she feels loved. And I need to appreciate that about her. And that's really how I think we start viewing others um, in the way that the golden rule really tells okay. us to. That's yeah. great. I want to get to other relationships than just marriage. Sure. This is a lot of meat on the bone yeah. with our marriages, but also for other relationships. I'm curious, you just sort of made an allusion to uh, the love language, a book called yeah. the love languages, which is sort of a helpful paradigm of, what are some ways that we best give and receive love? Right. I've seen that taken maybe to an extreme where we sort of, and more in marriage than anything else, but we sort of demand that our spouse love us in a certain way. Sort of right. like we take, we, we, we take the golden rule as almost we're entitled to be receivers right. of right. perfect givers of the golden rule. Right. Uh, I don't have a question there, but that's just sort of, there's a flip side of that Absolutely. that I feel like can be a little bit dangerous. Yeah, and I, I I tried to get at that a little bit when I when I said, I mean, imagine if if us as a group, as Covenant Reformed, or even all of the believers in the world, it would be incredible if all of us were fulfilling the golden rule. What would that look like? And it would look like not me demanding of somebody else to give me quality time or whatever it is, love language. I've convinced myself is the only way I can feel loved. Um, and, and it's actually me saying, no, 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 you don't need to give me quality time. Actually, let me encourage you with my words, right? Because that's what you want. And suddenly you're like, no, 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 that's fine. Let me give you the quality time. And so all of a sudden it's not about, well, I, I deserve it, right? Um, so, so in a scenario with a spouse or even children, I think there's a, a lot of utility there too. Um, uh, in, in those scenarios, I think the issue is one person may be fulfilling the golden rule, but the other person may not. And, and that's, that's what I, I'm, I'm saying. Like, this isn't just an individual practice. This is a thing that the entire community of the faithful believers needs to be constantly engaged in. Mm-hmm. I think that completely changes our conversations, our view of each other. I think it changes Sunday mornings, Sunday evenings, Wednesday nights. I think it changes everything that we do mm-hmm. uh, into very different conversations. I want to jump in there. Yeah. Okay, so uh, you know that Madeline likes cookies or ice cream. Sure. Right. Uh, I don't know the dietary preferences of mm-hmm. the hundred people I worship with every Sunday. Right. Um, so you, you uh, another another way we keep this, you mentioned, is just initiating towards someone. Right. Um, so can you talk a little bit about how the golden rule looks like in a church, 100, 150 people, we gather Sunday mornings, a good number of us gather Sunday evenings, Wednesday nights. I mean, what 
What does that look like? Not in marriage, not as, not amongst coworkers or parent children. It's just brother and sister in Christ. Mm-hmm. What does that look like? Yeah, so I'll start with, I think, the way that Covenant Reformed has done it well that Madeline and I have most clearly seen. Um, we have received a lot of invitations. So I use the word initiate. Um, uh, I think invite could have easily been you know, used instead. Same sort of concept here. So we've we've been invited into a lot of people's homes. We've been invited out to things. Madeline's been invited to play dates um, with Charlotte uh, uh, and other families. And so Covenant Reformed has been <clears throat> incredibly welcoming. Um, I just had lunch today with somebody else who was telling me how they ended up at Covenant Reformed and th- their journey. And, and one of the things that they said about a few different churches, which sort of blows my mind, is, well, we, it just wasn't welcoming. Mm-hmm. They weren't, the people weren't, like, two people out of 200 talked to us. It's kind of mind-blowing. I don't think that's happening here at Covenant Reformed, right? And I love that. And it, it really starts there of, you know, um, service is over, you get up, and you walk over to somebody and you talk to them. Versus, you know, uh, I'm going to sit here. I'm going to see how long I can go until somebody talks to me. You see the very different attitudes <laughs> right, right, right. between those two. Um, and so I, I think that uh, uh, that's why communicate was my second application uh, after initiate was that that seems to be the, sort of the natural progression um, as you go up and you talk to people. But I think an, another way that it happens is through, uh, uh, you know, the, the church itself communicates a lot throughout the week. Right. We've got midweek um, uh, where we we offer up prayer requests with other people. Um, our, our Friday reminders go out. The prayer chain emails go out. I mean, there's just a, a lot of what's going on in, in the life of the church is going out. And I think if we if we sort of isolate that invite initiate thing that I think we're so good at to Sunday morning, Sunday evening and when we're gathered together physically, I think that's when all of a sudden it it's actually not as much of a strength as we think it is. Now, I'm not saying that's true. I'm just saying that it uh, that's one way we can expand something we're already really good at. So, um, and that may be happening uh, already, but but we can, um, uh, I'll just give another example. I, g- I gave a prayer request last uh, um, midweek and somebody came up to me Sunday night and asked if we had heard anything about that prayer request. And it was, it was just so like, minor for that person I feel like it was just so um, uh, uh, I mean that person has so much going on and I was just shocked that she remembered that detail and it meant the world to me and Madeline and so so that's a way that that relationships can be initiated mm-hmm. right is just being intentional about those things um, and so again maybe starting with a strength and moving towards something that we can we can improve on yeah let me throw uh, a practical uh, nugget yeah, in it. there uh, I think initiating or being intentional, uh, it is easier when someone's right in front of us. Absolutely. And I've encouraged this before, and that's just the practice of church members praying for church members. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we have a directory. It's on the website. You can mm-hmm. get a hard copy if you want to. And I've just encouraged folks throughout the years just to be praying through the directory. Mm-hmm. And I have found when I'm regular in that, which I hate to say as your, as a pastor, I'm not as regular as that as I wish I was. But when I'm regular with that, those people are on my mind on Tuesday mm-hmm. or on Friday, mm-hmm. you know, the A's, I'll pray through the A last names or whatever right. they're on my, and so I'm thinking about them, about how I can move towards them. How can I initiate towards them? And so it's not just who do I happen to see that morning? It's 
yeah, who am I thinking through? Where's my heart yeah. throughout the week? Yeah, and that that brings up another thing. And, and I mean, you know, you've written plenty of sermons. There's so many different things to say, and this is one of those things that just ended up not making the cut. But hey, we've got a podcast, so I'll say it now. <clears throat> one one of the other pieces of application here is that the golden rule is really hard with people we already don't like. <laughs> and and that's the, who we most think about, right? Isn't it? When yeah, we're thinking I've, about I've, who I've, am I, I supposed to love? A couple people come up to me and say, like, "Oh, you you really convicted me today," and I'm like. Okay. Who do you like, not like? Yeah. Like, um, <laughs> what happened there? And they're like, well, it's just made me evaluate. And then I had people come up and be like, you really encouraged me today. And I'm like, those are two very different responses. <laughs> but uh, it, speaking of praying, I forget who, who told me years and years and years ago, um, uh, but whoever it was was incredibly wise that it, it said that the, the more difficult you find a relationship, the more you need to pray for that person individually. And suddenly, you know, I mean, that's one of the greatest acts of love we can we can exhibit towards others is taking them before God, right? And and asking for their blessing, asking for their safety, asking for their provision, asking for them to be um, uh, taken care of. And so the the incredible thing is that the more that person is on your mind, suddenly the more they share matters to you because that's a part of now y- your relationship to God all of a sudden. So that was one piece of advice that was given that, that I really wanted to get into the sermon somehow and I just didn't find a good spot for it was one of the ways that we 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 can act in accordance with the golden rule with the people we find it most difficult <laughs> to fulfill the golden rule with is pray for them. like yeah. and, and that is something that you can do, as you just said, right? That's not in front of them. And there's actually a, 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 a strength to that, right? Those habits that they have don't bother you in the moments that you're in your prayer closet. And you can still find yourself loving them in that way. That's good. So that's good. Uh, I want to ask one other category here. Um, we're supposed to do unto others. Do the others cover our spouse and our children? Yes. Do they cover our fellow church members? Does the category of others cover unbelievers? Yeah. This is why I. Um, I mean, I feel like you have to with this, and every commentary that I I sort of referenced in prep. All of them went to the parable of the Good Samaritan, <laughs> and that's 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 why the love of neighbor became sort of the the backbone of the the outline, um, and that's why that's why I went there uh, because I, I thought that the the quote from uh, Platt I thought was just so interesting. That Remind me of the that, quote. Yeah, so so he says uh, uh, that the lawyer who's trying to justify himself. Uh, before Jesus, right? He, he goes to Jesus and, you know, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, uh, you know, um, fulfill the law, live according to the law. And and he goes, uh, the text tell us, tells us, the lawyer seeking to justify himself said, well, who is my neighbor, right? And so then Jesus gives the parable of the Good Samaritan. Platt says, uh, what if instead the lawyer desired to humble himself instead of justify himself? And said, Jesus, I can't do that. I can't love you perfectly. I can't love my neighbor perfectly. I need help. How do I do that? It's a totally different conversation, right? I, th- I hope that as we hear the golden rule as believers, we don't try and justify ourselves with it because we're going to find that that's bad news, right? That's anti-gospel, right? Um, the good news about the golden rule uh, instead is that Jesus is inviting us to say, Hey, I can't do that. Um, I can't love unbelievers in that way. I, I, I mean, all of us struggle to love believers, 
plenty of other believers in this life in this way. So um, the, the reason I think you have to go there is because when Jesus references, you know, this is the law and the prophets, right? He's taking us back, if I can put it in this way, in a summary sense to the Ten Commandments. Now you go read the Ten Commandments, you know, in the Fourth Commandment, and it has stuff about foreigners in your land. It has stuff about your servants, your male servant, your female servant. Um, you know, uh, uh, the Ninth Commandment, not bearing false witness. I mean, you, you may go to a court of law and, you know, because you saw something from a red light, you don't know either, either one of the parties, right? Suddenly the ninth commandment is kicking in and all of that is summed up, right? In love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, and so, you know, yes, it's, it's everybody because that's the obvious answer to who is my neighbor. Okay. Right. Yeah. So the question earlier that I asked about, um, the cookie and the ice cream. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, let's take that to our, our unbelieving neighbors yeah. because there's there are some ways our neighbors would love for Christians to love them and there's some yeah. ways they would absolutely right. hate it yeah and so that's a bit more extreme right than the cookie cookie ice cream illustration right yeah. I mean uh, I've heard said before uh, kind of the pushback of well your neighbor doesn't want you to go tell them about Jesus they don't want you mm-hmm. to press upon them the reality they want you to evangelize them right it, for them, it's unloving for you to sort of burden their conscience, tell them about all this stuff. How do we sort of reconcile that in even a more challenging? How do we love others when there are unbelieving, resistant neighbors? Yeah, so let me, I'm going to jump on one example and then try and ex- extend that principle. Um, I think you as a dad can appreciate this, right? Um, I don't let Charlotte jump off our bed. You know, she's not even one yet. She will be here soon, but... I don't let her jump off my bed because I know that she's going to land on her face and she's going to get hurt. She's going to cry. But from her perspective, it's the end of the world. How could you hate me by not letting me jump off the bed? Right. Everyone, everyone knows this. The reason I start there is not to be like, Oh, and our neighbors are like babies. That's not, that's not the point. The point is everybody knows that love includes discomfort. Right. And the golden rule does not say that we should make everybody comfortable. Right. The golden rule says that as we would have others do to us. Right. So I don't want somebody leaving me in the dark. I don't want somebody leaving me uh, um, on a trajectory to eternal torment apart from God um, when there's an alternative place of blessing and eternal bliss and joy. And so I think for them, yeah, they, they would consider it loving to coexist right? To tolerate each other, to say, okay, that works for you. You do you, I'm going to do me. But notice that you do you and I'm going to do me breaks the golden rule down. Notice that you do you means you keep your stuff to yourself. But the golden rule says, as I want others to do to me, it assumes a connection. It assumes bridging these two people. And so the the idea that we, we shouldn't evangelize to our neighbors because they think it's loving for us to keep our mouths shut actually runs completely contrary to the entire point of the golden rule. But the second thing I'd say is that it's not, okay, Christians have a a monopoly on love. God has a monopoly on love because God is love. And anything apart from and contrary to him is not loving, right? So, you know, unbelieving fathers and mothers love their children. They, they do it well. I've seen great, unbelieving parents, right? Um, and so it's, it's not suggesting that only Christians really can love. But 
only the gospel preached or proclaimed to these individuals is truly loving to them. I think the the person I might point to is um, uh, Penn Jillette. Do you know who that is? Penn no. Teller, the, mu- the oh, yeah. musicians, the magicians, right? Um, so Penn uh, Jillette is sort of famous for saying that uh, uh, he's got this story about how he's met a, a Christian businessman and he came up and he thought he was going to ask for an autograph and he didn't ask for an autograph instead. And he said, you know, hey, I'm a Christian. I want you to know that in Christ, God loves you. And 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 he sort of wrote this piece that, that was like, that was incredible. The man didn't come up to me and, and like want something from me. The man came up to me and appreciated me and cared for me enough that like, yeah, okay, if it's true that there's heaven and there's hell, he wants me in heaven, right? And so he actually goes so far as to say the most unloving thing a Christian can do is to not tell others about Jesus, to not evangelize. And I think that's super telling. I think it's super telling that an atheist like that can acknowledge that if we keep our mouths shut, right, that's actually... Uh, uh, oh, he's an atheist. Yeah, he's I didn't know that atheist. part of the story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, so he doesn't he 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 doesn't believe at all. And 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 his response is Christians are extraordinarily unloving if they don't evangelize. Wow. So they, even they know it, yeah. right? Even they know. Uh, uh, I think he even says like, if you're about to get hit by a bus or something like that, and a guy doesn't come out and tell you, "Hey, get out of the road," right? Then that dude's a jerk. Right. Like he's 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 wow. an absolute jerk. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. And so, you know, hey, we know that these people are on a trajectory to wrath, but we also know that there's a path of grace and uh, a path of repentance and a path of reconciliation, acceptance and salvation in Christ. Mm-hmm. Why would we not tell them? So yeah. I, they know it. I think okay. they do. Um, that's good. That's really good. Yeah. Um, I, I hadn't quite thought about it like that before. Um, all right. We're, right, we're out of time. Wind it down. Let me ask a final question. Sure. Um, you have pointed to the seriousness of this. You've pointed to the variety of ways we need to fulfill it, how we are not, we can't just be content with not being mean to people and keeping the silver rule. In a sense, the golden rule is never complete. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So how do I walk away without just being utterly exhausted mm-hmm. and discouraged? Because my list of who and how to love is a whole lot bigger than it was last week. Yeah. Help me out with that as we close. Yeah. I'm going to go back to the, to the plaque quote and say that again, Jesus in the golden rule is not doing what these other religions are doing. Sort of giving you the yoke of, if you disobey this, you're a bad person. Jesus is actually coming in and saying, this is the law and the prophets. Go back to Matthew five. Again, the son of man came to fulfill that. Right. Jesus came on a, on a special, unique mission that only he could do and only he could fulfill, and he did it. And in, even in doing that, and I say this in the sermon, there's this sort of cosmic golden rule happening where God is loving his neighbor as himself by becoming his neighbor in the incarnation. And so... Um, uh, again, you know, when the, when the people came up and were like, I'm, I was super convicted. I went home and I asked Madeline, I was like, okay, was, was I a legalist in my sermon? <laughs> was I, was I sort of laying the law? Was, did I bring a hammer with me? And, uh, uh, she didn't think so. And I think it's good that the golden rule convicts us on the one hand, but I think that if we, if we miss the invitation to look at Christ and say, I don't know how to do that. Jesus turns around and says, do what I do. Right. 
And so that's where I think the example of Jesus, not just in the, the God loving his neighbor in the incarnation, but then Jesus actually came and obeyed. He came and did all of the law. He came and showed us how to love other people. Um, that's where that becomes so much more important in the Gospels. And not in the sense of like, oh, you hypocrite Christian, which I think is most of the time we hear about Jesus's obedience in the Gospel. He was the least of these. He was with the, the sinners of his day. I think he's sort of used as a weapon. I don't want us to view it that way anymore. I want us to see it as, as the example of, okay, this is what I can do in Christ. Is it going to be comfortable? No. Jesus wasn't comfortable, right? He had no place to lay his head. Um, is it going to be fun? Not necessarily, but it can be, right? Is it going to be something that I'm naturally inclined and drawn to? Absolutely not. But is it something worthwhile? Is it something better than not being in Christ? Absolutely, right? And, and this is what salvation entails, right? This is what Jesus is calling us to, looking more and more like him. So we got to take that example seriously. So that's what I'd say is that the golden rule is both a command, absolutely, but it's also an invitation. It's an invitation into uh, not a better way of life for you so you're better off. It's an invitation into Jesus's way of doing things, um, which is better for others. And that makes it worth it. Beautiful. Beautiful. Okay. I think we're done. Awesome. Uh, thanks again for the sermon. It was wonderful. It, it's great to go on vacation and know that the pulpit is in good hands. So... I uh, thank the Lord for uh, laying uh, this sermon on your heart and for you delivering it. And uh, we'll look forward to getting behind the bikes next week. Awesome. See look you then. To that, man. See ya. All right.